Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The blaze broke out around 6.30 this morning as thick clouds of choking black smoke poured out of the home on Neal Road. Witnesses were telling us that there may have been threats prior to, to this homicide. One witness in the affidavit saying Burns was obsessed with Forbes. Forbes remaining missing until now. Hi, I'm Jessica Babb. I'm an investigative reporter for CBS 21 News. And if you've been listening to both part one and part two of what happened to Jasmine Forbes, you know this is a wild case involving a house fire, a double homicide, and Jasmine Forbes who went missing and was later found dead. There are so many unanswered questions in this case and so many things that don't make a lot of sense yet. So that's why on this episode, I'm sitting down with CBS 21 morning anchor Candace Scalise. She originally covered this story last year when it all broke. We're talking through some of the circumstances to hopefully give you some more context to this case. This is Unsolved MPA. So the first question I want to ask when you were covering this case initially, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you? I will say not getting the information that we wanted from the Pasco County Sheriff's Office. Now, they're the sheriff's office located in Florida, and they are the sheriff's office that found Jasmine Forbes' remains. But when we asked them for information, uh, we were told time and time again that it's an open investigation and they couldn't give us any more information. So there's still a lot of questions surrounding how did Jasmine Forbes even get to Florida whose property was she found on, and how did she die? We don't even know at this point how she died. So that's a big question. And Katie Johnson, who we spoke to, one of her good friends, I think that's one of the questions that she is eager to know because she has this friend who she loved, whose remains were found, but that's all she knows. And that's all all of us know. And so we just checked back with them again, you know, a year later, and we still don't have any answers. And so I think that's one of the challenges right now is just figuring out what did happen to Jasmine? Can we get any information? And where do we go from here? Because no charges have been filed in her death. All we know is that she disappeared in February. We saw her on surveillance video. And then her body was found states away, thousands of miles away, too. Well, and I mean, like you heard in the podcast, she was seen on surveillance video around the day after the fire. And then after that, just nothing. I know the Pasco County Sheriff's Office wouldn't do an interview with us. Have they given us any sort of information? At least did they give you any sort of additional information on what even led them to that property to search it in the first place? So that's one of the challenges. There's actually a local TV station in Florida that covered this story as well when her remains were found. But we asked for property records. We asked for more information about the area in which she was found, and we really just don't have a lot of information regarding that. Um, we could look at certain property records, but it's really led to not to much information. 
Um, we haven't uncovered like whose property she was on, if it was a rural area. So right now it's just still a lot of questions. A lot of questions without answers. And I think it would be easy for a lot of people listening to think, well, it's obvious who killed Jasmine Forbes, right? Well, not quite. Given the circumstances, it is easy to assume that Larry and Cordero Burns could be involved. But this case isn't that simple. It's important to point out right now that the charges Larry and Cordero Burns are facing aren't related to Jasmine Forbes' death. They're facing charges because of the double homicide that happened at 132 Neal Road. Yeah, and I think as a journalist, that's frustrating, too, because we want to say, okay, what's missing here? Like, what information do we need that we're not getting as journalists that the sheriff's office might have? Because everything points to the Burns family with their involvement with Jasmine, with the text messages that were going on. But at the same time, and she was, you know, seen with one of the Burns family members on that surveillance video. But there are no charges against them for her death. And so I think that's one of the things that you want to say, okay, obviously it's him, but you have to have evidence and you have to have concrete evidence to prove somebody's guilty of a crime. And right now, as far as we know, we don't have that. So there are zero charges in her death and it's still an open investigation. Well, even kind of going back off that, I mean, she was last spotted on the surveillance video in February, but it wasn't until June, months later, that we started to learn more information about that her remains were found and all of this even coming out more information in August. So a lot of time is spanning between some of these events. So the timeline's not super clear. So something else could have happened with someone completely unrelated, too. Yeah, I think that's the tricky part of this is that there was so much of a time lapse between the last time she was seen alive in February and then her remains being discovered in June. I mean, we don't have any idea what happened between that time. And so there's a big piece of the puzzle missing there. We don't know if she had family in Florida. If, you know, we don't know what brought her down to Florida, if she was taken there against her own will. When I spoke with Katie, Katie didn't know anything about that information as to why she would have gone to Florida. So I think there are a lot of circumstantial um, well, I would say maybe not circumstantial evidence because we haven't been told any evidence, but there are things that we just don't know about what happened between February when she was last seen alive and then June when her body was discovered. Again, we want to be crystal clear. The homicide and murder charges Larry and Cordero Burns are facing are not because of Jasmine Forbes' death and the human remains that were found. Um, so we'll kind of have to see how things develop in the trial of Cordero and Larry for the double homicide charges, when you sat down with the Cumberland County District Attorney, what was his overall perspective on this case? I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting case. Um, he was very adamant about the um, Burns family being involved in the double homicide. And really, that turned into that multi-state investigation when they went to capture. The U.S. Marshals got involved to capture Cordero and Larry Burns. He really referenced any information about Jasmine's rants being found to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office because at that point it is out of his jurisdiction. But he is very, very adamant about um, Cordero and Larry Burns facing the death penalty. He is going for that 
when the trial happens, which could take some time because especially with capital murder charges, it takes time to go through the system. But right now, he says they are locked up. There's no bail where they could get out. And um, he is hoping that these uh, men face the death penalty in trial because of the deaths of these two other men in the house fire or prior to the house fire. And of course, we will keep you updated as this case develops in court. But, you know, one of the other things I want to ask you about is the fire at 132 Neal Road. There was a lot going on. And I know we broke down a lot of that information kind of setting the scene in, you know, part one and part two of the podcast. But you've been out to the scene. So what did you see? What's still out there? What is it like? Well, I got to tell you, the day that that fire happened, I remember it vividly. So I anchor our noon newscast and we had one of our reporters, Megan Majinski, out there. From the start, we knew it was a fire. But then once you see more people besides just the firefighters on the scene, then you start thinking something else is going out. Once the coroner shows up, you know something is under investigation. And so we sent more crews out there. There were a number of fire trucks on the road. Uh, Katie Johnson, who we heard from in the podcast, told me that when she got there, she couldn't even get to the house because it was blocked off. Uh, and she just saw a bunch of fire trucks. Their hoses were drawn. You could see firefighters all about. They had the road blocked off. So from the very start, firefighters initially knew it was a fire they were fighting, but then it turned into a death investigation. And now when you go to the road, when you drive by it, there's nothing there. It's in a rural part of Shippensburg, but it's not too far from town. And when you drive by to the left, you can see uh, the driveway where the car was parked, where they found one of them and shot. It's just a gravel driveway. And then to the right of it, it's just a field of grass now. Um, there's a little bit of trash nearby. There's a shed. But other than that, you would never know that a house stood there. And we know that the house had so much fire damage, it ended up being torn down. Just across the street is an open cornfield. And at the time that I went in November of last year to check it out, the corn wasn't active. It wasn't grown. So it was just flat. Uh, but it's pretty surprising that someone drove up, parked their car, and then found the gun in the cornfield. So it's very rural right now. And just driving by, you wouldn't even know a house used to stand there, which is a little eerie knowing that that used to be a, a place that was really full of life and, and full of these roommates who would hang out and get along together. Yeah, and that brings us to Katie Johnson, because as you've heard in the podcast, it was really hard for her to see her house on fire, watching her house burn down, having the road closed, unable to even get close. She talked a lot about how she and her roommates just wanted a fresh start to make different choices and start something new. It was something the roommates were all going to do together, but then everything changed before they were able to do that. When you sat down with Katie Johnson... How is she doing with all of this? I think the hardest part for Katie is she felt like she really found her crew. She felt like she found people who understood her, who knew her and wanted the best, not only for themselves, but for her. And so I think one of the challenges with not only losing her home, but losing all her friends was that she really lost kind of her family. I mean, these were people where they found each other. She, you know, admitted when we were talking, and I think you talked about this on the podcast a little bit, they were dabbling in drugs for a while. There was some activity that was going on that was illegal. 
And then they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. And so what was kind of crazy about this whole story, the next morning they were leaving. Jasmine was going to go to rehab. She wanted to start working again. Katie was at work. She was working full time when this fire happened. So for her, I think it was not only the physical loss of the house, but more so the loss of these people who she have grown to love and who she spent time with day in and day not day day and night and uh, they were really her best friends and they were encouraging each other so to come home and figure out that everyone was gone that was really difficult she also said starting over was hard because you know she's trying to find a new path for herself she's trying to keep working and not having that support system i think was something she really struggled with And so, you know, losing your roommates like that, um, you know, two people were dead at the scene. Jasmine was missing, nowhere to be found. Now we know she has unfortunately died. The property owner, Manny, where does he fall in the situation? Because in the criminal complaint, he was getting text messages from some of the other individuals involved. So how does he fit into all of this? Katie said shortly after the fire and everything that happened, Uh, Manny just kind of disappeared. He didn't talk to her. He ghosted her in a sense. I don't know exactly why that happened. She reached out to him a bunch of times because he was the last person who was alive from their roommates who she could reach out to. He was a property owner, as you said, uh, but he just cut off all contact and we don't know why exactly. So Katie's tried to move on and just find different friends and start a new life for herself and in doing so she's hoping that people can remember jasmine and she's continuing to fight for answers in jasmine's death because i think for her she will get some closure through that but at the end of the day she said she hasn't had contact with manny since the fire happened and she really just wants answers about what happened to jasmine and one of the things that i want to point out that i thought was really interesting in her interview You know, Katie Johnson takes accountability for the fact that they were doing some drugs and they maybe weren't making some of the best choices. But she also paints us the picture that it's not so black and white, you know, that they were involved in things, but they had tough circumstances that maybe led them there and that they were trying to do better. Um, You know, it's not necessarily like a one size fits all of they were making bad choices. So therefore, this happens. It's not black and white. And I liked how Katie Johnson really talked about that. What was your impression during your interview with her yeah i think there was a lot of maturity that happened over the time of their friendships i think once they became friends as you said they were you know dabbling in some things and some illegal activity which katie talks about but it's like they all realized you know what we deserve better for ourselves and so they started to change things around and i think that's why this story is kind of tough especially for katie Uh, because she talks about just the fun that they would have just being themselves. They would eat takeout together in the house. They would just have fun dancing at night, you know, in their bedrooms. So, and she was going to work uh, trying to make a better life for herself. So I think during the interview, she really humanizes Jasmine in a sense, talking about how Jasmine's a mother and she has a family. And so it's like they were all banding together, trying to do better in the end. And, um, you know, Katie really misses Jasmine. I mean, there were definitely tears during the interview of her talking about her friend and just remembering the good times they had together. After the fire happened, too, Katie was pretty scared because she knew that Jasmine was gone. She knew two of her um, 
friends had been killed. And so she's kind of been walking on eggshells and trying to make sure that she does not get involved in anything that's going to endanger her. And so there's a little bit of fear that we talked about in her interview because she knows that there are people who could be out to get her just by association. And I think that's one of the mysteries with this case is not knowing how Jasmine died or if there's anyone responsible for her death. You know, we don't know if Katie's in danger. And so she's trying to figure out how to move forward, how to put the past behind her, but still remember her friends who had an impact on her life. And while this case is still under investigation, so many answers still are yet to be revealed, um, but hopefully can be revealed sooner rather than later. But as we wait for those answers, for anyone listening to this case, what is the biggest thing that you want them to keep in mind or to take away from this? That's a good question. I would say that hope is not lost. I think speaking with Katie, she obviously had a time to grieve and still grieves for the loss of her friend, but she's keeping hope alive that answers will be found, that justice will be brought for Jasmine's death and for the deaths of Frankie Thomas and um, the other man who was killed, Eddie Shaw. And so I think there's just still a lot of hope alive when it comes to getting those answers. And, um, you know, it might just be too, like, making sure you keep your friends close and keep them on the right path. It seems like something that they all did well together was just support each other and making better decisions and having a plan moving forward. Um, but I, yeah, I think Katie's really holding on to hope. And uh, it's definitely a crazy story, like you said, with a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Um, but I think it's just moving forward and trying to do better every day. And she said in the interview that it's now her opportunity to better herself because they couldn't. So she's taking this opportunity to live for them in addition for herself. Definitely a powerful sentiment. And of course, if anyone out there who's listening has any information about what happened in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania with the double homicide and the fire, or maybe has any idea what happened to Jasmine when she got to Florida, contact the Cumberland County District Attorney or reach out to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office. Any information is helpful as these cases work their way through court and continue to be investigated. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.